Uh, if, if, if you have your Bibles, please open up to the book of Luke, chapter 15, and we're going to be looking at um, a very familiar passage of Scripture, uh, known as the Prodigal Son, and we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 32, so read along with me um, as I read. And he said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided the wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. And when now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the, that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him to his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that were, the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. But I will get up and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt, felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the, son said to him. and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And, and, put, and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began to inquire what things could be, what this, these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received them back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in, and his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son, this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we, but we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, and was lost and has been found. And may God add the blessing to the reading of his word. Have you ever looked at someone and thought, wow, that person is almost unforgivable. What they've done, you know that they've committed some type of sin or they, they wandered and, and they committed some things that, in our eyes that were really, 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 like really bad sin. And he said, they really don't deserve or never will, or they don't need to be forgiven. They don't deserve to be forgiven for what they did. Or they don't need... Um, they don't deserve 
to be shown mercy. They don't deserve to be shown compassion. Well, they'll never return. They'll never come back. Have you ever thought about that with some people? I know sometimes in my younger days I thought about that with some folks and, and even with myself. Today in this passage, Jesus shares the parable of the prodigal son and his son's wandering uh, and his sin and then his ultimate return. The father welcomes his return and rejoices for him and with him. The father explains to the older son that he had to rejoice at his younger son's return. So we're going to be looking at three specific points today. Number one, the younger son. Number two, the father. And number three, the older son. Now, as Nicholas played the video clip, uh, this parable, which is a story to explain a spiritual truth, uh, was talking, uh, was in conjunction with the other parables that I preached about last week. Things were lost, and then people went and searched for them, and they were found, and when they were found, they rejoiced. Today, Jesus uses the story of a son and his father. A son who goes away, but then returns, and the father rejoices. So what's, and we're going to look at God's heart, God's compassion, God's desire for his children to turn from their sin and come back to him so that he and all of heaven can rejoice. Let's look at it. Let's look at our first point, the younger son. It says he has two sons. If we be, uh, this first point is going to be between verse 11 and, and 20. So look with me there. In verse 11, it says, and he, and he said, a man had two sons. And the man, in, in those days, apparently the man... Um, had wealth because he had a lot of animals, he had livestock, he had land. And so, and in that culture, the, the, the wealth would be passed on to the sons or the, uh, the, the children once the parents had passed away. And that was just the way things were. That's the way, customary way that the, uh, the times in those days, that's what they, the way they did things. Well, the one son, as we can see, the younger son wanted his inheritance ahead of time. He wanted his wealth, his part, ahead of time. And so he goes to the father, and he says, Dad, I want my share the inheritance now. Now, in that culture, that was a, that was a, a sign of very, total disrespect and, a, and an insult to his father. Culturally speaking, that he would even dare ask his father for the inheritance before the, the appropriate time. And so that was a, so, but the father, being the gracious father that he was, obliged his son. 
But in that, the father said, okay, son, here it is. And one of the things that the father knows and the father realizes is, is that sometimes we have to see and experience the choice of our own decisions. And the father knew that. He knew that the son was itching to get out from underneath the father's care, the father's leadership, the father's rules. Right? Independence. I want to be independent of my father. And that's, if you think about it, that's at the root of every sin, if you look at it. Because all the other sins stem from that. Because you want to be you want to be your own person. You want to be your own, there's nothing wrong with being your own person, but apart from your father. And I want to do, I want to make my own decisions. I want to make my own choices. I know better. I have the answers. I want to experience life. Because what I'm experiencing here at home is not life. And it's not good. And it's not what I like. It's not what I want. It's not what I desire. And I want to be free from dad's shackles of his rules and his, um, and his guidelines and his structure. And I want to be free so I can do and experience pleasure and do what I want. And it'll be fun. Right? We do that. We do. I mean, it's true, isn't it? As a teenager, that's what I wanted to do. I did. Free from, in my eyes, the tyranny of my, my parents. And ultimately, what it was was being free from the guidelines and the structures and the things that were put in place ultimately to, to, bring, to bring joy and to protection and peace. But in our Christian faith, not, 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 all, not all of our families were experiences where it was, our homes were a safe place to be in or it was a good place to be in sometimes. But ultimately when it comes to the Christian faith, it's always a safe place. It's always a good place to be. It's always a place where God would have us to be. And so what the son was saying was, is I want to be free from my father. And apply it to the Christian faith. What he was saying was, is that when we wander, when we choose our sin above being with our father, we're choosing to leave his protection. We're choosing to leave his care. We're choosing to leave his graciousness and the peace and the joy that he offers. Because we think that we, we know better. And the son thinks, well, I'm going to have joy. I'm going to have peace. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to be excited. I'm not going to be enslaved to my, 
my father or my parents. And so the son goes on his way. The father gives him what he wanted so he can experience for himself the choices of his own reality of his own choice, the choice of his own sin. Sometimes that's what God will do. Because God's a, a God that wants us to, God is a gracious God, but he's a God that wants us to um, really understand the reality of our choices. Because he made us volitional. We have, he gives us a, a free will, doesn't he? So the sun goes out, and boy, the sun is having a great time, isn't he? He goes out into the world. He's living it up. He's, spit, he's got this ton of money that his dad gave him, probably a lot, a lot, a lot of money, like thousands of dollars. Thousands and thousands. And he's thinking in his mind, you know what, this is going to last me forever. I'm going to have fun that's never going to end. Unending fun. I can party every day of my life. I don't have to get up in the morning. I can sleep with a hangover. I can sleep through my hangover, and I'm fine. I can do whatever my pleasure, whatever I desire. That's what I'm going to do. Wow, that's, that's exciting. And the prospect of that to him and his mind was exciting and it was exhilarating. But you know what? And when he actually got into it and the money ran out, then reality set in. As it always does in our lives, doesn't it? It does. We have the pleasures of sin last for but a moment. But the reality of the actual sin is very stark and very real, isn't it? It's there, it's great at the moment, but then when it's all gone, and the moment the pleasure's all gone, it's gone. Just like the addict and his moment of ecstasy in is high. Wow, this feels great. Wow. And then when the high is gone, it's like devastating, isn't it? It is. And I th that's what sin does. It leaves us empty. It leaves us without feeling. It's, it leaves us confused. leaves us angry. But what do we do when we're in that state? What do we do when we're in that condition? What do you do? Any sin, it doesn't matter what it is, causes heartache and pain and regret, no matter what it is. Any sin does. So what do we do? We make a decision, don't we? Like this young man did. This man, this young son, saw the reality that he had no food. He had no warm bed to sleep in. He had to live in a pigsty with pigs that, according to Jewish culture, were unclean. And he had to eat the pods that the pig, pigs were being fed to. And so here he was, living in filthy conditions, not having a lot of food, and empty and broken. 
And sometimes our sin brings us there, but sometimes that's a good place because sometimes what happens is it makes us realize what we really had at home with the Father. Because listen to what the Son says here, and this is really important. Verse 17, it says, But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? So he realizes, the first thing is that he realizes that what he really had was really good. And number two is that he says, But I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and earth. So he realizes that he makes a decision. He realizes what he had was really good. He realizes that he made a huge mistake. And then he makes a decision to repent. Listen to this Bible verse. I want you to go to me in your Bibles. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. And this is a very important scripture, folks. Very important scripture. It says, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Did you hear that? I'm going to read it one more time. The sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. What, is, what, kind of sor- what kind of repentance did this young man have? He had a sorrow that according to what? The will of God. That rep- produces what? Repentance. What is that repentance? It's that turn, realizing and understanding that I've sinned, that I've hurt God, and I've hurt others. And there's a genuine sorrow and shame in your heart for what they have done. It's not like, ah, it wasn't what I did wasn't too bad. Because if that kind of heart is. I'll give you an example, real quick. Two examples in the New Testament. Judas and Peter. Judas cried after he betrayed Jesus. But that sorrow was a sorrow according to the world. He wasn't really sorry for what he did. He was just sorry that he got caught. Peter was sorry that he betrayed his Lord. You look at Peter. Peter wept bitterly. And of course Jesus forgave him. General repentance is a heart that truly repents over what they have done. And they realize and they understand that what they have done has not only hurt them, but it's hurt their father. It's hurt God. And so they make a decision to not only that they're they're sorry and they confess their sin, but they make a decision to do what? It says, um, but I will, verse 18, I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. So there, there is an act here of repentance where you confess your sin and then you make amends like it says in like in one of the in, in the steps in AA is that you make amends with the people or and God whom you've sinned against right 
You make a decision. You confess it, and then you make a decision. You, you realize it, you understand it, and you make a decision to go and do what? And to change it. And make things right. That's genuine repentance, where you're genuinely broken, and you genuinely make that decision to go and turn and come back. And that's the place where we have to be if we're going to have true repentance in our life, where we're going to have true change in our life. And that's what this young man did. And when God sees that, how does God see that? But let's go on here. And it says, in verse 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. So he made that decision. Not only did he make a decision, he put feet to his decision. He put feet to his decision. And when we make a decision in repentance, we have to put feet to them. In other words, we have to change, folks. We have to make that decision to change. We just can't say, I'm sorry, and not change, right? And that's so important, folks. The change comes here, but the change also comes here with our feet, and our hands, and our body, and our mind, and all that we are, and making that change. So we can come back to God, so that we can receive from Him. But listen to how the Father responds. Verse 20, our second point, the father, welcoming the son's return. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced and he kissed him. How many of us, and I'm guilty of this too, um, when someone who has done something against us or said something to us that offended us or hurt us or made us feel some kind of way. And they come back and they're genuinely sorry for what they've done. How do we respond to them? How do we respond to them? I know sometimes I don't always, I get upset. Like how this person did this to me or said this to me, but yet they come back. And I don't always welcome them back with a warm response. You know, I mean, we've probably, all of us have probably done that at one time or another in our lives. But here, look at the father. He sees his son. You know, and the father was probably looking for him. God knows where, and, this, and, and of course the father here is God. But the father was always knew where the son was the whole time. God knows, always knows where we are all the time. But here in this case, the father sees the son a long way off. And so he sees the son coming back. He's a long way off. And he recognizes his son. He knows his children, right? He knows what they look like. He knows who they are. And he knows, even in all their messiness, because here he was, just came out of a pigsty. He's probably on a long journey. Probably his hair was probably long and grown out. Probably hadn't shaved in a long time. Probably had raggedy clothes on. Probably dirt all over him. So it might have been hard to recognize him. But not for the father. Not for the father. The father knew who his son was. Even a long distance away. Even all his messiness caused by the result of his sin and his decisions. 
the father still knew his son, didn't he? And that's the wonderful thing about our God, isn't it? Even in all of our messiness from our sin, even all of our, from the choices and decisions that we make, our Father still knows us. He still recognizes us. He still sees us. Because He still sees the person of who we really are. Not all the messiness on the outside, but He sees the person of the heart, doesn't He? He does. That's so critically important, folks. To know that our Father, yes, He sees our sin. But he sees the person for who we are. Even when we're a long ways away from him. And when he sees us coming back, what do you think that that does for the Father's heart? What do you think that that does? Can you think the joy, the excitement, the elation? Wonderful. My son's come back. Even when he's a long way off. And all of a sudden, when the son comes, what's the first thing that's I love hugs. I love hugs. My kids know that. I love hugs. And what did the father do for his son? Even in the son's messiness. Even in the son's um, dirty. Remember, he came, he went on a long journey, probably dusty roads. He was in a pigsty, which is probably dirty and smelly. Probably hasn't taken a bath. Probably didn't brush his teeth. Probably his hair was unkempt. His hair was probably everywhere. His beard was probably like grown out and all messy. Did that deter the father from hugging him? Here's the big old bear. My son's back. My son is back. My son is back. That's the way the father rejoices when his children understand the result of their sin. And they return and they genuinely repent and come back to the father. The father rejoices and is excited. And listen to what the father does. And here's what the, listen to what the son says. And then the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight and no longer worthy to be called your son. The son follows through on his repentance, doesn't he? He goes back to the father and he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry, Dad. I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. Genuine repentance, folks. Genuine sorrow. And that's what God saw. Even in all the, the messiness from the sin. He didn't care if it smelled. He didn't care if he got dirty. He didn't care if he had all the mud on him and the dirt on him. He didn't care. All he was, what the father was concerned about was, is that his son had returned, and his son realized and understood what he did. He just wanted to be back in his father's arms. And that's all God wants with us. 
when we sin. That's all God wants when, they, when, when we sin or when others sin. He just wants, to, he wants us back, back in his arms so he can, we can be in his care. We can be in his protection. We can be in his embrace. We can be in his provision. We can be in his peace. We can be in his joy. We can be in his very presence with him. Right? That's what the Father wants. That's what he wants. And that's why the Father was so happy. And the Son understood that. But the father said to his slaves, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hands and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us celebrate. So the father was giving what? The son the very best, wasn't he? Saving the fattened calf, putting a ring on his finger. like That was like a really special thing. Putting a robe on him, even in his dirtiness. He was forgiven, so inside he was already clean. The outside was still dirty, but, but that's... But that's not the point. The point was is that he was clean on the inside. And that's what really matters, right? And so Father wanted to celebrate and give him the very best because he had returned. And the Father was so excited and so full of joy that he couldn't contain himself. He said, give him the very best. Let's celebrate. My son has returned. Amen? Amen. And that's what's so important. And that's where... I think, folks, that we need to understand that as well. Is that when folks genuinely return and they come to the Lord, we need to have in our own hearts, we genuinely need to be excited for them and welcome them in our own hearts. And if they sinned against us and they've hurt us and they genuinely come back and they, in repentance, we should be excited for them, not saying, you should have came back a long time ago. Should have gotten done this a long time ago. That's not the attitude. The point is, is that they're back. Not how long they took, but they're back. And their hearts are right. And we need to rejoice with them and celebrate. Just like heaven does. Just like heaven does. Heaven celebrates. Remember we talked about last week, heaven... Um, the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that repents. Heaven rejoices. The angels in heaven rejoice over sinners that repent and truly come back to the Lord. There's a celebration in heaven for me. There's a celebration in heaven for each one of us. And for anyone else that's going to come. But God wants his people to be a part of that celebration when people come. And we need to be genuinely excited for them. We need to genuinely embrace them. We need to genuinely receive them back in joy. Not, be, not like this phony smile. Yay. Welcome back, brother. But a genuine, sincere joy. A genuine, sincere acceptance of them back and their return. Let's go on here. Because look at it in the Father's eyes. In verse 24, For the Son of Mine was dead and has come to life again. And the Father looked at him as dead because of his sin. Sin caused death, doesn't it? But when there's repentance, it brings life. 
What did Jesus do? I came that I might have life and have more abundant life. So Jesus came to bring life. Came to bring life. And he was lost and has been found. The sin, we, we get lost in our sin, but when we make a decision to repent and return, we're found by our Father. Let's look at our last point. The older son, um, the older son and his response and the father's explanation and ultimate purpose. Now his older son was in the field when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. What's all this celebration? What's all this music and all this dancing and this big party going on? And why wasn't I told about it? And he was really upset and angry. Because it goes down here and it says, and he summoned one of the servants and began to inquire as what these things could be. But he became, verse 28, he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. He was upset. He was downright angry. He was angry. He was, my goodness. Why is this going on? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is this, why is, why is all this celebration? And the father comes out. Now this son was the son that never left. Right? Son that's always been there. Son's always done what he's supposed to do. Son's always done what was asked to him. He was a compliant one. He did what he was supposed to do. But if you look at the son here, there was resentment, wasn't there? Because listen to it in his voice. And said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you and I've never neglected the command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so I may celebrate with my friends. Listen to that resentment there. Listen to that bitterness there. Listen to that jealousy and that envy there. Listen to that anger there. Never, never, never have you done this with me. So he was angry and bitter because his son came back and now the father and, and, and now the father's celebrating with him. He spent all his money on loose living and all his money on, on, on things that he should not have been spending his money on and it's all gone and now you're going to celebrate? You should chastise him. Cast him out. Don't welcome him back. And that's the attitude that we have sometimes. As a Christian and believers who we see people that we've been serving faithfully in the church for years. Following God, doing what we're supposed to do, and then someone comes back after living a, a, a life, that, a wild life, and they come back. And God welcomes them back. God welcomes them back with joy. And we get upset and we get angry and we get resentful. Because here you are, serving the Lord and doing what you're supposed to do, and yet this person comes back and he's received back with joy by the Father. And we get angry and upset in our heart, don't we? But what Jesus, what the Father reminds him of, listen to what the Father reminds him of. In verse 20. But when the son of yours came with devoured the wealth of prostitutes and killed him, 
God and cared for him. He said to him, Son, you have always been with me. So, in that case, you've always been with the Father. You've always had the Father's care. You've always had the Father's protection. You've always had the Father's provision. You've always had the Father's joy and His very presence in your life. You've always been there. It's always been there. Right? Anything that the, the Son had access to, anything that the Father offered, He was under the Father's care. And all that is mine is yours. So he had access to everything that the Father could offer him, right? So there would be no reason for him to be angry or upset. But we had to celebrate. Listen to this word here. We had to. This is the Father speaking. We had to celebrate and rejoice. For his brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, was lost, and has been found. We had to celebrate. The older son, it doesn't tell us how the son responded to this. The older son. But the point being is, is that when others return, or when others come to the Lord, we need to celebrate. We need to rejoice. We need to receive them back with joy, genuine joy. We need to put away our resentments. For If they lived this lifestyle for 20, 30 years, 40 years, they lived a long time like that, and they come back in genuine repentance, we need to receive them with joy. Not resentment, and not bitterness. Celebrate like heaven celebrates, and rejoice with them. Right? Scripture says, rejoice with those who rejoice, and mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice the way heaven rejoices. And that's so important, folks. Because what does a person need when they come back to the Lord, do they need condemnation? Do they? Do they need a guilt trip thrown on them? Well, look at the way you've lived. Look at that lifestyle you've lived. Look at all the things that you've done. Do they need that? No, they need to know that they're welcome. Yeah, they're, yeah they've done some things, but God's forgiven them. And now God's rejoicing. Same thing with us. Is that we need to receive folks back with real joy. Because what, what that does for them is that it receives them back and puts them in a place where, hey, people generally care about me. People generally are celebrating with me. People are genuinely seeking me and celebrating with me. There's a, um, there is a, uh, a Christian, uh, it's a, like an organization like a program within, uh, within like a Christian church or a Christian, it's called Celebrate Recovery. And it's celebrating the recovery of people who have wandered and have come back. Celebrate, that's an, it's a great name, isn't it? Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate, in other words, you celebrate with others. You enjoy others. You Work with others and rejoice with others at their return. Because people need that, folks. People need that. They don't need our condemnation. They don't need our guilt. They don't need our pointing fingers. What they need is they need our embrace. They need our joy. They need our welcoming back. 
It's sad to say some churches don't, they're not welcoming back to people. But we need to be a church. We need to be a people that when they do have issues and we do have struggles and do have problems and they generally come back, we need to receive them with joy and we need to embrace them and continue to embrace them and support them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And rejoice the way heaven rejoices. Right, folks? We do. Because I tell you, that does more for a person than you could ever imagine. It makes such a big difference. And when, when I return back to the Lord, when I return back to the Lord, people welcome me back and embrace me. That made such a huge, lasting impact in my life. I can't speak for me, but I, I, I'm sure you can think in your own mind, in your own heart, that, you know, we're, how people received you back, how people welcomed you. And that means so much, folks. It means so much. And we need to do the same, folks. Amen?